This is KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. I am Pranjali and you are listening to Chai Time. Namaskar and welcome to the show. Friends, as the French poet Victor Hugo has said, music expresses that which cannot be put into words and that which cannot remain silent. I think there is a very fine space between the words and the silence and that is what is the language of music. In today's Chai Time, we will be on a magical journey where the words will melt into music and music will fill the silence we are honored to have phil scarf the renowned master jazz saxophonist and hindustani musician with us and today he is going to take us into the enchanting land of sur tal and rag stay tuned save our shores is a non-profit marine conservation organization with a home base in santa cruz and a satellite office in the half moon bay region their mission is to protect and promote the ecological integrity of the monterey bay national marine sanctuary through policy research education and citizen action sos also sponsors beach cleanup days and runs community education and outreach programs To find out more about Save Our Shores, visit their website at www.saveourshores.org. That's www.saveourshores.org. Do you have questions about 3-day notices, 30-day notices, unlawful detainers, security deposits, repairs, habitability, lockouts or rental agreements? Do you have other concerns about your housing rights? If you live in San Jose, call the Legal Aid Society of Santa Clara County at 408-283-1540 for free legal assistance. That's the Legal Aid Society of Santa Clara County at 408-283-1540. This is KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Welcome back to the show. I'm Pranjali and you're listening to Chai Time. And today on our show, we have a very special guest, Phil Scarf. Phil is a master jazz saxophonist and Hindustani musician who is pioneering the performance of North Indian classical music on soprano saxophone, exquisitely capturing the subtlety and depth of this music on this Western instrument. He leads the acclaimed world jazz ensemble Natraj. Phil received extensive training in Hindustani music in Pune, India from vocalist Pandit Shriram Deosthali, leading Sundari artist Pandit Surekant Khalatkar and Shehnai master Pandit Sham Rao Lonkar and in Boston, USA from sitar master Peter Rowe and vocalists Kalpana Mazumdar and Warren Sanders. It is a great privilege to have Phil on Chai Time show. Welcome Phil. Welcome to Chai Time. How are you today? Well, thank you so much. I'm fine today, uh, Pranjali. It's uh, very nice to be here. So, Phil, saxophone is a well-known instrument in Western music and is used in classical music, bands, and jazz music. I want to begin the show with one of your musical pieces. So, what do you want to play for us today? Uh, well, I think we'll start off with a dhun. And this is a piece from my uh, CD, Rags from Dusk. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a piece that I transcribed from uh, a Bismillah Khan recording. Okay. Uh, and I approach the dun, uh, when I improvise on this dun, I approach it um, both from the Hindustani perspective, but also I bring some jazz into it as well. So I thought this would be a great place to start. So let's play the dun.
Phil, let's now talk about your musical journey. How did you get started? How did you choose soprano saxophone as your instrument? Well, I, I started when I was a kid. I was in, I started uh, in, when I was in third grade, I started playing piano. Mm -hmm. um, and, but that only lasted like maybe about five or six months. And I just, I didn't really feel connected, very connected to that instrument. So I didn't pursue it. Um, but uh, the next year, uh, in fourth standard, um, I started clarinet, uh, and then, and I played in the school band mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, uh, so forth. And, and then when I was in fifth grade, um, my band director suggested <clears throat> to my parents that I add saxophone and he wanted me to play tenor saxophone. So, um, I started playing tenor saxophone in fifth grade and continued with clarinet as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, then, uh, when I was in, uh, when I was in college, well, I became interested in jazz in high school, mm -hmm. uh, and I started listening to a lot of different jazz artists, and particularly, of course, saxophonists. Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 you know, there there are a number of uh, like soprano saxophone is used in jazz uh, by a number of artists. It's becoming more popular. But back then, you know, I was listening to Coltrane, and he played mostly tenor, but he also played soprano and some other artists as well. So when I got to college. I had some, there were some instruments that, uh, that were available, mm -hmm. uh, school owned. And I started experimenting a little bit. I, I, uh, tried bass clarinet for a while. I tried soprano saxophone and, uh, I kind of gravitated towards soprano saxophone over time. And, and then, um, once I finished, uh, once I finished college, I just, I bought my own, uh, instrument mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, continued with that and, uh, so, you know, now I still actively play tenor and uh, soprano. I also play alto and sopranino, and I still play clarinet as well. Um, but uh, I have uh, used, primarily used the soprano for Hindustani music. Yeah, so that brings us to my next question, and I'm really fascinated about it. How did you get into Hindustani classical music? When did you start learning Hindustani classical music formally? Right, so I was introduced to Hindustani music uh, in the early 80s by my colleague Warren Sanders. Uh, and he had been studying Hindustani Sangeet for a number of years at that point, and he was using some concepts from Hindustani music in his compositions and also in his instructions for improvisation. Mm -hmm. And I, being a jazz musician, I, I'm very interested in improvisation and different approaches to improvisation. And that's really what got me uh, intrigued by Hindustani music. And then Warren took me aside one day and started playing some Bismillah Khan recordings for me, which was also very interesting. Mm -hmm. So then I started, at that point, I started getting interested. I started uh, getting recordings and going to concerts. And after a few years, I decided to start studying. Mm -hmm. So I started studying in 1985 with Kalpana Mazumdar in Boston. So uh, you talked about this connection, right, with the instruments. So were you uh, able to connect with uh, Hindustani classical Sangeet immediately or did it take time for you? It took some time. You know, I, I heard Bismillah Khan's, like I said, you know, Warren played this recording of Bismillah Khan. I think that was probably the first, it, that may have been the first recording of Hindustani music that I heard. Uh, and, you know, it was very interesting. I, I liked it, but it didn't. It wasn't like immediately I was mm -hmm. just taken by it. 
Um, but over time, I started realizing how deep and powerful this music is. So what kind of challenges uh, a musician who is trained in Western classical music faces in the process of adapting to the new style? Because for you, it's altogether new when you started, right? So oh, yes. can you explain us with some examples? How did it work? Sure. Well, there are a number of challenges um, uh, because it's, though jazz and Hindustani music have similarities, mm -hmm. uh, they're both largely improvised and uh, they're both, you know, interactive. They, and they also, they depend, of course, because they're improvised, they depend very heavily on the creativity of the artist in the moment. And that's one thing I think I really like about this kind of music, improvised music. It's very spontaneous And it really, it, you know, you can go and hear the same artist play time and time again, and you don't hear the same thing. It's always new and fresh. Now, as far as challenges are concerned, uh, of course, Hindustani music, first of all, is played against the drone. And, it, and uh, it, it's, I'll say, a pitch is a very high priority in Hindustani music. It's a higher priority than in Western music, in a sense. So... And playing against a drone is not an easy thing to do if you haven't done it before. Uh, easy in the sense, not easy in the sense that it's it's a little hard to tune to the drone at first. And then um, the other thing, another thing is, uh, as a jazz musician, I'm used to, um, you know, what I use for my reference points in the music are chord progressions. Uh, you know, I may hear like I'll listen to the bass player and he's he's outlining the chord progressions. The maybe piano or guitar or a chordal instrument is playing the chords. So that's how I kind of keep track of where I am. And the, the drummer marks the time as well and kind of, and kind of tends to uh, accent important form points. So you, we use all those things as reference points. In Hindustani music, we don't have any of those instruments. So none of those reference points are there. So we have tabla. So uh, you have to completely change gears and the tabla it becomes the reference point so you have to learn the cycles the the uh, takas and how to keep track of where you are by listening to the tabla so that's another challenge and then a, um, a third major challenge is how to adapt all the nuances of hindustani music to this western instrument with keys you know the saxophone which is not really i'll say designed to play things like Mind and so forth, which are very important in Hindustani music. So that's another big challenge that's, I'll say, that's an ongoing project of trying to keep on refining how I play all the nuances and ornaments. It's really interesting, and you're still learning and reinventing and doing things, right? It's not, well, that's the, way it, that's the way music is. Yes. We're always learning. We're always learning new things. Definitely. Continuing to try to adapt and learn and, and improve. Yes. So, Phil, you have been trained by Sundari and Shehnai musicians, right? And both of these instruments have some similarity with saxophone. So, can you tell us more about these instruments and how you decided that you should train with these teachers? Sure. I, I found, uh, as I became interested in Hindustani music, I found that I gravitated a lot towards Shehnai because Shehnai and soprano saxophone have a similar range they have similar they share some tonal quality uh and so that that's the instrument that i uh you know have listened i'll say have mainly modeled my playing after i just when i decided to go to india my goal was to study with a shanai artist uh and and so i started with uh Suryakant kaladkar 
And he comes from a family of Shanai artists, and he uh, switched to Sundri, though, years ago. So he plays Sundri. But Sundri is very similar to Shanai. It's basically the same thing, but smaller. It's like a piccolo version of Shanai. So that was really not any issue for me. I, I was I'm fine with that. So, um, you know, that's the reason why I gravitated towards Shanai and Sundri. And uh, how I decided to train with the teachers, it's more like they came to me or they were brought to me. When I went to India, uh, my my friend Warren, I mentioned Warren Sanders earlier, so he also went to India. And so he went first and then I went later. And I asked him when he went, you know, can you try to find a Shanai artist I can study with? So he went to Pune. And he was studying with um, Pandit uh, Bimsen Joshi. And so he asked Bimsen Ji, you know, can you, he says, you know, my friend's coming. Can you help him find a Shanai artist to study with? And he says, sure. So he, so that my first day in India, I went to Bimsen Joshi's house. And I was supposed to meet a Shanai, my potential guru. (laughs) It didn't happen that day. It wound up happening the next day. But it was through Bimsen Joshi's connection that I met, uh, met the Kaladkar family. And uh, actually, I initially met Surikant Kaladkar's father, Baburao Kaladkar. And he was really my first guru, but he assigned the job of teaching to his son, Surikant Kaladkar, who became my main guru at that point. And then later, I studied with Shamra Lonkar, who was a Shanai artist. And what happened was, uh, I studied on my first few trips, I studied with Surikant Kaladkar. And uh, then I started studying also with um, uh, Pandit Sriram Devastali, who was a vocalist. And um, after a few years of working with uh, Suryakan Kaladkar, things, it seemed like he was losing some interest or something wasn't quite going right. So I, I decided, you know, I really need to find somebody else. So I talked to uh, Deva Stali about this and I told him you know I really need this model the instrumental model is very important for me because if I just study with voice it's 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 really kind of a stretch to adapt the vocal music to the saxophone but if I study with an instrumentalist it really helps because now I can see I have a model I have something I can try to imitate so uh, he uh, made the connection for me with uh, Shamra Lonkar. So that's how I studied with Shamra Lonkar, and I studied with him on, I think, two of my study trips. Very nice. So all these names you have been mentioning, we have grown up on these names, and Pandit Bhimsen Joshi, we worship him as God, and you're saying that you went to his house, and then he arranged for your guru. All this talk is making me very, very emotional, Phil. So here I think we'll take a little break. And we'll listen to a raga. So, uh, would you choose a specific rag which we can play for our listeners? Sure. Uh, what I'd like to play uh, now is uh, um, Rag Bihag uh, mm-hmm. from my CD, Rags from Dust. And uh, I'd like to also mention that on this, on the recordings from this uh, CD, Rags from Dusk, uh, I am joined by uh, the tabla artist uh, Bhushan Partsare. Okay, and we'll play Rag Bihak. Yes.
Beautiful. Very nice. So, Phil, you are part of World Jazz Ensemble Natraj. Please tell our audience about the band and how did you come up with the idea or why you chose the name Natraj? Sure. So, Natraj was founded back in 1987, uh, after, uh, about a year after I... Uh, went to India to study music. And um, the idea of the group from the beginning was to bring together Indian classical music, West African traditional music, and contemporary jazz. Uh, and uh, the, uh, we'll say the initial idea, I had been thinking about putting a, a group like this together. And I had met uh, Jerry Leek, who was learning tabla. And we were playing Hindustani music together. And uh, so one day after we played, we were talking about music. And uh, we discovered that we had each been thinking about the same thing. We were in interested in forming a group to combine Indian classical music, West African music, and jazz. So that was the beginning. So then we found uh, Mike Rivard. Uh, and, uh, and we started off as a trio. And over... Probably the first few months we became a quartet and then a quintet. And uh, so at present, the, the Jerry Leak and Mike Brevard and I are all still in the band. And uh, we also have two other artists. We have Bertram Lehman, who plays drums and percussion, and uh, Matt Maneri, who plays viola. Uh, and so we, in the beginning, we were uh, uh, fusing... Uh, Hindustani music and uh, the West African tradition that we were familiar with was Awe, so Awe music and also jazz. And over time, we introduced a few other uh, influences. So we also in introduced, we have some uh, influence from Carnatic music. We've, over the years, we've had a lot of opportunities to collaborate with Carnatic musicians. And through all those collaborations, we have. Uh, uh, we'll say we've been introduced to Carnatic music, and so we've uh, we have now uh, quite a bit of Carnatic influence in in the band, and we also expanded our West African repertoire. So, in addition to the Ewe uh, people of Southern Ghana and Togo, we also have uh, music from the Dagomba people of Northern Ghana, as well. So, we now have those influences, and in addition, more recently, we have been working with a uh, Senegalese master drummer, Lamin Touré. So now we have some Senegalese influence as well. So we have uh, you know, broadened our streams of influence, but still basically the same regions of the world. Uh, and, and how we came up with the name was this. Well, on my, at the end of my first study trip in India, um, my uh, guru's family gave me a present, which was a gift, which was um, a, it's a bronze uh, statue of Natraj. And at that point, in my journey, I wasn't really very aware of what this was. So my, one of my friends explained to me what this was, what Natraj was or is. And uh, so I kept this um, statue and it sits up on the shelf in my music room. So when I practice, you know, every day I see this and I, it reminds me of India. So uh, it's, it's sort of uh, uh, oversees my riyas. And uh, so then... When we put the group together, I thought, you know, this is the logical thing. We'll name it Natraj after, because of this, uh, this figure that I was given in India. So that's how we came up with the name. Beautiful story. Very nice. So you mentioned about the Carnatic music, and you have had opportunity to play with 
Carnatic uh, music genius Sri Kadri Gopalnath, who adapted alto saxophone to play Carnatic music. Can you describe to the listeners your experience of playing with him? How was it? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, Kadri Gopalnath is a phenomenal musician, and the way he plays the saxophone is just unparalleled. In fact, I, you know, many of my colleagues, my jazz colleagues, have uh, heard of Kadri and have heard his music. And, you know, a number of people have, you know, said this to me, what I also felt the same thing. When I listened, when I first listened to Kadri's music, if I didn't know that he was playing a saxophone, I wouldn't have realized at first that it was a saxophone because he makes it sound so Indian. It really almost doesn't sound like a saxophone. So he has really managed to get, you like really get into all the nuances of Carnatic music and reproduce them on the saxophone so well. It's incredible. So very amazing. He has, uh, he has made some adjustments. He uses a different kind of pad on his instrument. Uh, he uses a very uh, soft reed and a very close opening on the mouthpiece. So he has very little resistance when he plays. He's going, it's very interesting because what he's going for is is like the opposite thing of what most jazz musicians are going for. Jazz musicians tend to go for, you know, a pretty big, full sound that projects really well. So they go for a stiffer reed, a more open mouthpiece to get more resistance and play with a bigger, fuller sound. Whereas Kadri is going completely opposite way. He's going for subtlety. So he pl- goes with a soft reed, a close facing on his mouthpiece, and these special pads. And also another interesting thing is his instrument is very light in weight. The instrument that he uses is an instrument that was made for him in India by his instrument maker. He, has, he told me he has every saxophone on the planet. <laughs> he's been given every saxophone. If you go to his house, apparently he's got like stacks and stacks of saxophones. He has Aww. everything. <laughs> and he's played them all. And he wants his his custom made instrument is the one that he likes. Very nice. This is altogether a different world, Phil, and I'm so so honored to talk to you today about all this. So you play Hindustani music, soprano saxophone, and she Gopalnath adapted alto saxophone to play Carnatic form of Indian classical music. So can you tell us some of the challenges you faced? in doing this and all this experimenting? Yes. So, you know, like as I was saying before, this, aside from the basic musical uh, um, skills, the real main issue is adapting all the nuances to the saxophone because the saxophone has keys. And basically, the way we learn to play saxophone in Western music is, you know, you play whatever note you're playing, you close the keys that you need to close to get that, that note. You want to play a different note, you close the keys that work for that note. And you want to play another note, you close a different set of keys. So you learn which keys you're going to open and close. So basically, the way we approach playing the saxophone in Western music is we open and close the keys. And of course, we, we blow, of course, we have to do that. But in terms of getting the notes, you're opening and closing the keys. And that's pretty much it. We play, we use a little bit of vibrato, which means we vary the pitch a little. So there's like a little bit of a shake added to the pitch. But what's so, in adapting Hindustani music to saxophone, what I found is that I need to um, focus a lot on how I open and close the keys. I'm not just opening and closing, like kind of, uh, we'll say, uh, so that, 
don't think of it as having two positions, open and closed, that, which is how I thought of it before. Now I think of it as it's a complete continuum between closed and fully open. And that combined with how I adjust my mouth and how I apply the air pressure allows me to get the mean. And this has been something that, it's, I, as I mentioned before, it's an ongoing process. I've been doing this now for years, decades, and I'm still trying to refine further all the time. When you learn Hindustani music, in general, your guru will make you sing. So Hindustani music all goes back to voice. All the instrumental music in Hindustani music all goes back to voice. And the indigenous instruments, the Indian instruments, are really all designed to some extent to mimic the nuances you can get in the voice. So if you think about it, like you think of Bansuri, Shanai, Sitar, Sarod, uh, Sarangi, all these instruments are designed to mimic these nuances the voice can produce. So you first learn to sing. So you get the music in your ear. Once you get it in your ear, then you try to reproduce it on the instrument. So that's really part of, a key part of this process is singing the nuances and then trying to figure out how I can make the saxophone produce the nuances. Very interesting. Very, very inspiring, Phil. Really nice to know all these little details. And all this talk really wants me to listen to some of the music. And I think my listeners here would really like to listen to uh, something you choose for them right now. So what do you want to play for them? Sure. So I think uh, for our next piece, we're going to play a piece by Natraj. Yes. So this is a piece called Song of the Swan. Mm -hmm. This is a piece composed by uh, South Indian uh, Murdungist and composer T.K. Ramakrishnan and me. We co-composed this piece and performed by Natraj on our CD Song of the Swan. And you'll be hearing uh, Matt Maneri on viola, Mike Rivard on string bass, Jerry Leak on tabla and percussion, and Bertram Lehman on drums and percussion, and I'm playing soprano saxophone on this song of the swan.
featured on more than 30 acclaimed CDs, DVDs, which include ragas from Dusk and releases by Natraj, Aardvark Jazz Orchestra, Jazz Composers Alliance Orchestra and Saxophone Quartet, Sandy Prager, and National Film Preservation Foundation. Deccan Herald from Bangalore noted following after one of your performances, Phil. Phil Scar weaving magic through his saxophone with rag puria, soul-stirring, sonorous rag bihag was refreshing and delightful. He played with great finesse and mesmerized the audience. So, Phil, both of these ragas played during late afternoon and evenings. Can you explain to the listeners why you decided to choose these ragas for making your music compilation? Sure. Well, this uh, my CD Rags from Dusk was recorded when I was in India on tour. And so it, it's actually taken from the rags that are presented here are rags that I was playing in my concerts uh, on that particular tour. So I had selected a number of rags, in, including the ones on, these, on this CD. And, you know, uh, my, most of my concerts would start in the early evening around dusk. So Puria is the right time for that. So I, I played, I, I would start with Puria, and then I moved on, and as it got later, Bihag comes in later in the evening, so I played Bihag. So this is really how this, uh, the Rogs on the CD came about, from a concert tour. So that's why, one reason why I call the CD Rogs from Dusk, because we're starting at dusk and moving into the uh, later evening. And that's how the CD progresses. So let's hear Rag Puria. Uh, right now, should we play Rag Puria for our listeners here? Sure, let's let's hear Rag Puria, and again we have Bhushan Partsare, uh, sorry, Bhushan Partsare joining me on tabla.
performed with icons of Indian classical music including Ronu Majumdar, Kadri Gopal Nath, Umail Puram K. Sivraman, Trichy Sankaran, Chitraveena Ravikiran and Shailesh Bhagwat as well as African master drummers Godwin Agbeli, Abu Bakari Luna, Nani Agbeli and Lamine Tour. He has performed at many well-known venues and festivals which include Nehru Center and Bombay Jam Khana Club Mumbai, Indian Council for Cultural Relations Theatre Delhi, Maharashtra Cultural Center Pune, Jazz Yatra the Indian Jazz Festival, Prayojan International Music Festival and Ghana's Panafest. You have played all over India Phil, but which venue did you like most and why? Well, this is a very interesting question because the answer that I have for you is maybe uh, not what you'd expect. Okay. <laughs> what has as a student, as a music student in Pune, I used to go to a lot of concerts. And especially in the early days. And, uh, you know, some concerts are held in these venues. They're very traditional Indian venues where you have an open courtyard with building all around, but it's open in the middle and it's open to the sky. So it's, there's no roof overhead. And these venues are, I always used to love going to hear concerts in these venues because they're so, there's so much, like, you hear the reverberation, you feel like it's really perfectly suited for Hindustani music. It's not a formal concert hall, you know, an auditorium. It's a different sort of thing. And everybody is, you know, sitting Baitak style. And you just hear the resonance from of the, the sound bouncing off the walls of the, of the building that surrounds this courtyard. And, you know, usually these things, uh, well, many times these are late at night, so, you know, it's dark and everything. And you, you also hear a little bit of the ambient sound of, the, you know, the traffic noise a little bit on the street and so forth coming in. It's just so traditionally Indian. And we never get to play, you know, in, the, in America, we don't have venues like this. So um, this was somehow, this had become so ingrained. I was like a dream. Like, will I ever get to play in such a venue? You know, it would be great. So on one of my tours, I did. I, when I went to Sangli, uh, I, I was sponsored there. I was hosted by a group called Sangeet Sadhana, and they uh, organized the concert, and they held it in a place called Tilak Hall, and it was exactly this kind of venue. And I walked into this place, and I thought, wow, this is it. Now my dream has come true. I'm going to play in this kind of venue. So it was really a great experience. It's fantastic. And it was a, a complete, in, in, a, <laughs> in a way, it, it kind of completed my experience because it was also a power failure in the middle of the concert. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that I remember in that particular tour, I think every concert was affected by a power failure. <laughs> and then you were able to still <laughs> continue. Still anyway, so it was fine. But but no, no, that that aside, it was really great experience playing. I really, I you know, to this day, I think that is really one of my landmark. Um, uh, concerts. Beautiful, yes. And I was not expecting that answer. I thought you'll say some big name, but yeah, sometimes in life, yeah, some small places and some big venues and very interesting. <laughs> and I can imagine you playing in Sangli and having fun and I can imagine all the excitement there. Yeah. So coming back to uh, USA, schools in USA provide excellent environment for the youth to learn music. And I have seen my son played uh, alto saxophone during his school and my daughter played flute. So with so many students learning music as part of their coursework and they being part of the marching band and all that, what do you think how we can have these students exposed to the very rich world music? 
Right. So I think, you know, these days, uh, compared to when I was uh, growing up, uh, these days I think there's a lot more opportunity to do this. Uh, there are a lot more artists touring from different parts of the world. Uh, and there's a lot more exposure to music from everywhere. It's more readily available, of course, through the Internet. You can pretty much get anything, uh, more or less. Uh, so it's more readily available. So what, but what I suggest is, and what I see happening more, and I think I'd like to encourage it to happen as much as possible, is, you know, let's bring in traditional artists from different parts of the world and have them come into the schools and, you know, give performances and workshops and, uh, you know, show, demonstrate their instruments and their, their music uh, to the students and let the students interact with them as well through question and answers and so forth, and, and perhaps even collaborative performances, if that can be organized. And I think that kind of thing will really make a big difference, and I think it's starting to happen now, so the more we can encourage it, the better. The other thing that can be done is, uh, of course, parents can take their uh, children to hear different kinds of music, and I think getting exposed to as many different kinds of music as possible is a great thing. So um, I think it would be very good for parents to seek out Music from different traditions, different instruments, different parts of the world, and and have you know take their uh, children and expose them to these things. Yeah, exposure is the key, right? It really is. So, uh, Phil, tell us more about your future performances and where can our listeners find the information about it and uh, go to see you live to see your performances. Sure. So, um, best thing to do is to check my website which is philscarf.com and that's p-h-i-l-s-c-a-r-double-f as in frank dot com uh, and there I try to post uh, my public performances on the website so you can go there and see uh, you know what's going on uh, just to mention a few things I have a lot coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks so my upcoming shows I have on, uh, let's see, October 27th, I'm going to be, well, this is actually a workshop at MIT. That's on Monday in the afternoon at 2 o'clock. Um, this is a very interesting workshop, though. This is adaptation of frameworks from Hindustani music to improvisation in other traditions. So that's, that's on the 27th. On uh, Halloween, October 31st, I'm going to be at Berklee College of Music doing a concert and workshop on Hindustani music. That's at noon. Um, one thing I'd like to mention to your listeners is that I will be touring India in January. Uh, and I have a couple of things confirmed so far. I'm going to be at the Nehru Center in uh, Mumbai on January 17th. And I will be at Gandharva Mahavidyalay in Pune on January 20th. Great. Very, very exciting. And a lot of my family and uh, my relatives are in Pune and they're definitely going to meet you and see oh, you, okay. watch you perform. Great. So uh, I don't want to stop here, Phil. I want to talk to you for hours, but uh, studio has limitation of time. So I think we'll stop right here till we invite you again in our studio. So thank you. Thank you very much for being here and for talking to us and telling us all about your musical journey. And before we uh, leave, I would like to play one more musical piece of your liking so you can say bye to my listeners and explain them uh, what you're going to play next for them. And then we'll say bye. 
Great. Well, thank you so much, Pranjali. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with uh, you and your listeners today. And uh, I thought we'd close with uh, Rag Bhairavi. Uh, this is uh, a track from my CD, Rags from Dusk. And joining me is Bhushan Partsare on Tabla. This is an interesting uh, piece because it's a uh, familiar uh, composition that uh, uh, Bismillah Khan uh, played, um, which is originally set to Tintal. And I have reset this to Dadra. So it's a different, uh, different framework. Uh, Rag Bhairavi. Thank you, listeners, for joining us here on Chai Time. This is KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM, and you were listening to Chai Time, and we were talking to Phil Scarf. You can know about Phil's upcoming performances on his website, and I'll be putting all the information on my blog, chai-time-radio.tumblr.com. You can listen to today's recording and all the other episodes on soundcloud.com slash chai time. Radio. So I will say bye to you here and have a very nice weekend. And we'll end our show with a very beautiful musical piece, Bhairavi. Oh,
Thank you.